Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm finally joined back in the studio, Cash and Wolfon, both here, sharing a mic, very intimate, both yeah. chewing gum to make sure that they're, uh, they're all right. How are you guys doing? Uh, all right. It feels like uh, it feels like an old like Backstreet Boys or Boys to Men video. We're like very close to the mic together. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it's been a long time though, you know. So uh, we're getting reacquainted in uh, extremely familiar fashion. It feels good. <laughs> our our esports team actually has the other mic uh, in Paris, France, right now. It's, the score is doing big things. Please please check out their content as well. But um, all right. Well, we've gathered today to uh, talk about the Eastern Conference. We did the Western Conference, Las Vegas. Uh, Win total over unders uh, on Tuesday. That one was recorded with Alex. You can check that out. Um, you know wherever you find this podcast. And now we are going to do the Eastern Conference, um, just like in the Western Conference episode. We are going to start from the top and move to the bottom because nobody really wants to hear about the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so let's start here. The Boston Celtics, fifty-eight point five wins, up from fifty-five last year. Um, they get Gordon Hayward back healthy they get Kyrie Irving back and healthy uh and that's pretty much all they did because they didn't make any other significant roster moves Wolfon do you feel like it's a bit high for the Celtics I actually do um and I'll say that like I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them winning 60 plus games I feel like their true talent level is such that they could pull that off and you know I wouldn't really blink twice but to take the over on 58 and a half that's that's a ton of of wins and I think it's worth remembering like yes they won 55 last year but they had the point differential of a 51 win team so I think they outperformed their talent level last year and I mean we we don't exactly know what Gordon Hayward is going to look like when he comes back I know you know it's not like a ligament thing where you might worry about uh, some of his athleticism being sapped. I think when it comes to like a clean fracture, um, the the rate of players coming back and, and basically performing at or near the same level is a lot higher. But I, I don't know. We just don't really have a sense of what this team is going to look like, how all these pieces are going to fit together. The Kyrie situation kind of threatening to loom over the season a little bit with his free agency coming up. And also the fact that Frankly, they, they were not that much better with Kyrie on the floor last season compared to off. And if you look at like their on-off splits with, say, Horford on or off the floor or Tatum or even Marcus Smart, those guys were all in their own ways kind of more impactful than Kyrie because they were a defensive team that thrived at that end of the floor and Kyrie obviously comp- compromised that to a certain extent. So taken all together, I, I would probably take the under, not very confidently because I do think that this team, like they have such ridiculous depth mm-hmm. and at the end of the day i think depth is what helps get you a ton of regular season wins so again i wouldn't be surprised at all if they went over this but if i were betting i would probably take the under yeah i think too what a lot of people forget is when they see teams kind of like overachieve with guys out or with guys injured or whatever when stars are down they just kind of assume that like well then you just plug that star in and like there's five more wins so if they won 55 last year and they're getting Gordon Hayward back and a healthy Kyrie well they gotta win like x amount more but it doesn't work like that a like Joe mentioned their point differential actually reflected that they weren't quite as good as their their final win total and also like they were already pretty damn good without those guys. So it's not like there's no number that you just add wins to these guys because now they're getting these two star bats, like stars back. They can be very good and even better than last year and still end up with the same amount of wins, not because Kyrie and Gordon Hayward aren't adding anything, just because they were already good and it's hard to kind of like elevate further beyond that. 
Um, having said all that, I think 58 and a half, uh, as we said in the last episode, Vegas knows what they're doing. I think it's a very fair. Uh, I'll go over to play a little devil's advocate and have them right around 59 or 60. Yeah, I, I kind of like the over too. I think it's a little bit optimistic. Um, and I think all of their points about sort of the redundancy and sort of replacing good with great doesn't necessarily mean you're just getting great. It's, you know, you have to, you know, take out some minutes for some of the guys like Brown and Tatum. But also at the same time, like Brown and Tatum are poised to take another step in their development. We saw Jalen Brown. He's a bit inconsistent right now, but a good game for Jalen Brown. Like there's a game early in the season against the um, the Warriors in which the, the Celtics actually ended up beating the Warriors. And um, Brown was just, just sensational in that game defensively, offensively. His game has really come a long way. He's starting to be able to drive and um, finish sort of in the way that a lot of these um, point forwards can do, like Giannis. It's a little bit Giannis-esque, the way he can drive to the rim. Um, and then obviously Tatum. I mean, Tatum, just his playoff performance was just incredible. Like we remember game seven, he was, you know, going toe-to-toe with LeBron for a while before, um, you know, Brad Stevens stopped giving him the ball for some reason and Terry Rozier decided to take a bunch of missed threes. But, um, yeah, like you factor some of that development. And I think the one thing the Celtics have over everyone else is like they have continuity, right? And I guess if you add Gordon back to that equation, it's, it does change things a little bit. But that rest of the team, the way they know how to play defense, like that's been entrenched in them forever. And like this is going to be an elite defensive club, just as it was last year. They were, you know, between number one and number three for most of the year. And man, when you just add the fact that, look, last year where they really struggled was offense, right? They were um, 18th. 18th in offense, which is kind of crazy for the amount of talent they have. But. They didn't have that much shot creation. They bring in Gordon Hayward. He's obviously a really good shot creator. Kyrie, we don't know if he's going to be healthy again, to be honest. Kyrie misses a lot of games regularly, so who knows? But still, you figure their offense is going to take another step forward, and if you're going to be top five on both ends of the ball, that's usually 60 wins. So that's that's probably where I'm going with the Celtics. Um, the other one that's you know respectable in, in the, in the uh, Eastern Conference is the Toronto Raptors. They won 59 games last year. Um, but they are listed for 54.5. I feel like this is a little bit low for the Raptors. Yeah, this team's winning 60 games. Okay. But the Kawhi thing is... That's Yeah, look, the Kawhi... It's the factor. Yeah, that's obviously the... um, I guess the asterisk here, right, is that if Kawhi plays nine games, then, yeah, they're probably not winning 60 games. But... um, I don't know. I, I said it, you know, when the trade went down. I wrote about it. I just... Kawhi Leonard is not going into his free agency year having played, you know, whatever the number of games is, like over a two-year sample. If he's healthy, he's going to play, and I don't see any way where he's not healthy. Like, the quad injury was mysterious, but at the same time, like, you know, listen to Tony Parker. Tony Parker recovered from a much worse quad injury much quicker, um, if you believe him. But... Yeah, Kawhi, I can't see any reason why he's not going to play a significant amount of games. Um, It's going to be the opposite of last year. If anything, he's going to be pushing himself to play when maybe he shouldn't some nights, as opposed to last year when everyone thought he could play and just didn't. Like He's going to want to showcase himself. And if he's anything close to the guy we saw the last time he was healthy, which is like a top three player in the NBA, and you're essentially replacing DeMar DeRozan's output with Kawhi Leonard's output and adding like a Danny Green in there and expecting leaps from guys like Pascal Siakam and OG Anunoby, even a Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright. Like to me in the Eastern Conference, much like Boston, I don't see how this team doesn't flirt with 60 wins just like they did last year. 
There's just too much talent and too much de- too much depth in too weak of a conference for them not to. I, I agree with all of that, and I would take the over on 54.5, but I, I think there are some things to consider here, and one of them is health, which is, like, th- this team had incredible health last year, and I don't think that you can necessarily expect that to uh, sustain itself this year, and especially, you know, with Kawhi coming in, I know last year obviously is the prime example him playing only nine games because of this freak injury but even before that if you look at uh, his six seasons going into last year he'd averaged um you know if you prorate that shortened 2011-12 season out to 82 games he'd averaged about 68 games a season so right there i mean you're already missing out on on having like an elite player in the lineup uh, because demar derozan was extremely durable and basically giving you a full 82 games almost every season so uh, you know i think you can expect to lose a few games there um and again like i just don't know that you can expect kyle lowry to be healthy for 79 games as he was last year um for their bench to be as dominant as it was last year when i think they probably took a lot of teams by storm and I mean, for the most part, I just think that, like, the way things came together for that team last year was kind of this, like, perfect alchemy of timing and chemistry. And with new personnel coming in, with a new coach in place, which with, with a, a potentially disgruntled Kyle Lowry, and I think it's worth remembering, too, that, that Kyle Lowry showed some kind of concerning signs of uh, physical deterioration last year. As good as he remained on both sides of the ball, I think... It was really, really difficult for him to get to the rim last year, and he clearly just like doesn't really have the first step anymore, and it's really, really hard for him to turn the corner and beat guys off the dribble, and if that continues, then I think that really limits the ceiling of this team, because suddenly, you know, you don't necessarily have two all-stars on your team, but maybe you just have Kawhi surrounded by a bunch of, you know, very competent role players, which is a bit of a different equation, so... Again, I, I think that the talent is there. The versatility is there. There's like a ton to like about this team. And uh, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they flirted with 60 wins. I would take the over on 54 and a half. But like, I understand the reasons for concern as well. Um, what do you think Nick Nurse um, has to do in terms of um, winning the trust of the roster and also in terms of improving the roster? Because obviously the Raptors made this coaching change for a reason, right? They felt that Dwayne Casey, as much as he was great for the team and he managed the personalities well, that um, he wasn't um, as up-to-date with a lot of what is considered modern offense and defense. And Nick Nurse is supposed to be this young guy that, you know, already rejuvenated the offense for the team last year. Um there's hope that he can improve um, their performance on both sides of the court. So, like, what areas should Nick Nurse be looking into improving? And also, do you feel like he needs to get the buy-in from his new guys? I mean, a coach always needs to get the buy-in, but I don't think I don't think it's healthy to go into a season or into a situation thinking, okay, what am I going to do to earn these guys' trust? I think he just has to be himself. If like if every indication that you know we've gotten from people around the league and from uh, media people and coaches who speak like everyone seems to refer to Nick Nurse the same way as kind of a creative genius, a genius, right? Like that's what everyone refers to him as. They they talk about his creativity. So I think I think he can naturally get that buy-in if he shows throughout the season that he has creative ideas and maybe new ways of approaching things that some of these players has haven't seen before. You talk about someone like Kyle Lowry. 
Um, Lowry's been in the league a long time, and he's been with the Raptors now a long time, and he's seen them fail in very similar ways each year. And yes, I know LeBron James is out of the conference now, but maybe even it's just something as simple as, and Nick Nurse talked about this at his introductory press conference, but just finding new ways to defend and like creative things that other teams aren't trying that they're going to try. And maybe it doesn't end up working in the playoffs, but they're going to test it out in the regular season. I just think things like that, the players will notice and will buy in. But I don't think there's like a specific thing Nick has to do to to kind of like trick them into buying in. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, if what they're doing is working, then that is going to sell itself. And obviously, it's it's maybe going to be a tough transition for some of those guys because Dwayne Casey was such a great relationship builder. And, uh, you know, maybe it takes a little bit of time to build up that trust again in the locker room. You could probably expect that that locker room is going to be a little bit frostier than it was last year. Um at least at the beginning. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think the, the guys in that locker room are about winning. And if what Nick Nurse is bringing to the table is helping them get there, then I think that's all that's really going to matter. And yeah, the one thing I'll add too is like if, you know, they had already become a very three-point happy team last year and, and you know, a pass happy team. And to his credit, DeMar DeRozan bought in and, and thrived in it. But if they want to get even more pass happy and, you know, um, quick triggered from behind the arc under Nick Nurse... And if they want to empower their best players to play better defense, the way he did talk about before the trade went down, you know, if there's one player that maybe didn't fit that mold, he's now gone. Oh, Sergio Barkas gone? No. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, the one guy that I think maybe playing wise, like stylistically, mm-hmm. didn't fit with Nick. What Nick Nurse wanted to do is now out of there. Right. So unless you're just, you know, assuming Kyle Lowry is going to be so unhappy that DeMar's gone that he's not going to want to play for this guy, I, I don't see how it doesn't work. He's going to wipe his tears with that $30 million uh, check of his per year. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we can all agree with the Raptors that this is going to be a top five defensive outfit. Like, when you look at this team, they have, like, maybe one and a half poor defenders on the roster that are going to be in the rotation consistently. Um, Kyle Lowry's a plus defender. Um, Danny Green's a plus defender. Kawhi is the best defender in the world when healthy. Um, OJ Ananobi's a really good defender. Um, Serge Ibaka, with adequate rest, is a good defender. Jonas is really taking a lot of improvements, um, and he's you know a pretty good rebounder at this point. Well, let's let's say he's half. He's point five, right? And then you look at the rest of that bench. Like Siakam's a good defender. Fred VanVleet's a good defender. DeLon Wright's a good defender. Like, that, this whole team is good at defense. And, like, that's going to carry them through a lot of these regular season games where, you know, maybe you're not hitting threes and this team's going to be relying a lot on threes. But I'm just thinking, like, how good could this team be offensively? Because, if again, if, if this is a team that's going to be elite defensively and also going to be elite offensively, then I don't really see a reason why they wouldn't push the Celtics for, you know, tops of the East. And if we think the Celtics ceiling is like 65 wins, then the Raptors ceiling should be, you know, in that low 60 range as well. I I think between the two of them, it's going to come down to health. Like for me, they're so evenly matched that it's just going to come down. The regular season anyway is just going to be a war of attrition, right? And like who survives the 82 game slog. And again, like I I think that the Raptors are going to be a much better team than they were last year. I don't know that that necessarily means they're going to win the same number of regular season games because, again, you know, they had a lot of things go their way last year. Um, One of those things was pristine health. Uh, But it's also, you know, worth noting, they didn't luck their way into 59 wins. They they were top three offense and a top five defense. Like, they were elite on both sides of the ball as it was. 
And this offseason, they basically addressed what I consider to be their, their two biggest weaknesses, which is, you know, they added more three-point shooting and they added elite wing defense. Uh, you know, that's what they were lacking. So this is a team, like, when, when I look at them, at least on paper, that has very, very few weaknesses. Um, so to me, that definitely should translate to more than 54 and a half wins. But again, I mean, the, the true talent level of this team is such that, uh, I, you know, I, I think they could very well win the Eastern Conference. But, you know, that's not always reflected in regular season standings. So circumstance is going to have a lot to say about that. All right, moving on to um, the third beast of the Atlantic. Remember when the Atlantic was the just Titanic? so was the Titanic division? Now this is like pretty much the only three respectable teams in the Eastern Conference. Well, the one they finished first, second, and third last year too. They all came yeah. from the Atlantic, yeah. exactly. Um, and arguably, they got better this year with uh, adding Kawhi to that equation. But the 76ers, sixers one fifty two games last year are listed for fifty three point five by Vegas. Um, I want to be controversial and say under because it seems like everyone is just extremely high and sort of the next step that this um, young roster can take. But I want to hear it from you guys. You guys are going over or under on 53.5 wins for the Sixers. I'm going to go over because, again, I think much like I said with Boston and Toronto, the East is so bad once you get past the top tier. Um, you know, it's the polar opposite of the, a couple days ago, we talked about the West and it was like, we were down to the ninth seed and we're like talking about whether this team could win 45 games here. You know, by the time you get to the ninth seed, you're talking about maybe a 45 to 50 loss team, right? So teams like Philly, Toronto, Boston, the amount of talent and the amount of tep- depth they have, I just, it's so hard for me to see them not winning 50, 55 plus games because they're going to beat up on those teams m- more often than not. Philly, you know, basically to achieve... Uh, the over, they need to win two more games than they won last year. And that seems doable when you consider Embiid and Simmons should get better. They added Wilson Chandler, which kind of like went under the radar this offseason, but it was a nice pickup for them. They're just going to get better with age, barring injury, which obviously is a concern with Embiid. The one concern other than health that I would have in betting the over is that as good as Philly was last year, that win total was obviously insanely inflated by the fact they finished the season on a 17, 16-game win streak. And, you know, yeah, you are what your record says you are in the sense that they did win those games, regardless of whether they won them all in a row or won them in, you know, however. But still, like, that that does inflate things, right? They were not a 52-win team for the majority of the year, and then they just ripped off that streak at the end. I don't know, like, you know what I mean? They could be, much like you just talked about with the Raptors, Joe, where they could be a better team and maybe not win the same amount of games. The same thing could happen with Philly. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily buy into that um, because, you know, they had an easy schedule down the stretch, but they had an easy schedule down the stretch because they had a difficult schedule at the start of the season. So, you know, at the end of the day, they played a normal NBA schedule and they they finished with 52 wins. Like, I do think there's something to be said for when you play teams. And so playing those kind of lower tier teams at the end of the season when they're all maybe trying to lose games might have helped them fatten up the record a bit. There's also the fact that they had Ilyasova and Bellinelli in the fold, and those guys, for whatever reason, just went off at the end of the season and was like a huge part of that team's success. Um, those guys are now gone, and you know I don't think they were wrong for letting them go, especially given the, the, the contracts those guys got, which I don't think were great for the teams that signed them. But um, you know they might feel those losses at the same time. I think Fultz, to me, is probably the biggest wild card in all of this because if he comes back with any semblance of a jump shot that solves their biggest weakness which you know all these years has been they they don't have a point guard and 
if they have a point guard, then suddenly this is a really, really well-built team because they have an absolutely elite big man in Joel Embiid, um, and they have a guy in Ben Simmons who, you know, I would hope to see them kind of experiment with playing him off the ball a little bit more, and if Fultz is that guy who can basically be, um, you know, a, a reliable spot-up shooter, then uh, those guys can kind of take turns running the offense, I think, and be really effective in that way because Simmons is an unbelievable passer, but... Uh, you know, he could also be really effective potentially as a role man in the pick and roll. Um, he could be effective as a slasher, as a cutter. I think one one guy that gets overlooked a lot is Dario Saric, who had a fantastic year last year, and I still think that there's room for him to grow. Uh, he can shoot the ball. He can put it on the floor. He can pass. He's an underrated defender. So, uh, you know, there's a lot there where I think – you know, one thing that's really hard to consider when you look at what a team is going to do from one year to the next is internal improvement. We're always looking at the moves a team made and who they brought in and who they lost. And sometimes all it takes is like one or two guys on your roster to make that leap. And between Fultz and Saric and just like all the young talent they have on this team, I actually do have faith in them uh, being able to top that 53 and a half total. My biggest question for the Sixers is that um, I don't think their offense or their defense were issues. Certainly not their defense. Their defense was fantastic last year. Uh, and Brett Brown has really gotten this young team to buy in. And they're long and they're athletic and they're huge. And, and Beat is arguably the best defender in the league in terms of just pure impact. Um, the issue, I think, with the Celtics is like – or sorry, with the Sixers is that they turned the ball over like an absurd amount of times. And that improved as the year went on. Um, but like – when you have a team that is sort of young and it, it it's sort of young, it, the team is young but also like they play a system where they pass the ball like a ton so that's just really going to lend itself to a lot more turnovers especially if they're not crisp and executing their sets um and i don't know i mean i don't really see necessarily what what's going to change with their turnover problem right if they can fix their turnover problem then yes this this team is definitely going over but if they don't and if Ben Simmons comes back with the same wrong-handed um, jumper, and if Fultz is still a question mark, I mean, he should be better than Jared Bayless, right? So, uh, you know, even without a jumper, I think he's probably better than Bayless. But still, um, yeah, I mean, I think they just got to fix their turnover problem more than anything else because that's really what's holding this team back. Like, this team can be elite on both ends of the ball. They just keep turning the ball over. The turnover thing is crazy, too, because it's been an issue the whole time. Brett Brown has been there and, and some of these young guys have been there and for the longest time everyone looked at it as because well they're such a young team and they're like still learning to play together and I get that that's true and I get that even last year they were still a young team that was learning to play together but at some point you do have to start asking questions of like what about I guess the the way that they play and the style that they play why are they consistently 30th 29th last year again 30th in team turnover percentage every single year you know Lots of teams pass the ball a lot. Maybe not quite as much as the Sixers do, but a lot of teams play up-tempo. A lot of teams, you know, pass the ball a lot um, in an up-tempo system and don't turn the ball over the way the Sixers do. So what is it? Like, are these guys just turnover-prone? Do they not make the right decisions with the ball in their hand? At some point, these questions will have to be asked because expectations have now set in. It's one thing to be the, like, young upstart team. It's another thing to now be expected to win 55 games and challenge to win the Eastern Conference and get to the finals. And if, you know, you're not doing that because you're turning the ball over 28 times in, like, an Eastern Conference finals game or something, the, you know, the target's going to start coming to Brett Brown and company. Well, I think maybe that 
that has something to do with the fact that they haven't had a steady point guard all this time. But and the only sorry, the only counter I'd have to that is like, don't you guys think Ben Simmons was that guy last year? Like, I get that Fultz, it's like physically is more the mold of a point right. guard, but Ben Simmons real like was their starting point guard last year and did a pretty good job at it. But it, it also has to do with the way that they run their offense, and they didn't as much as he had the ball in his hands a lot and was basically you know the quote unquote point guard as far as like you know he was their trigger man most of the time that was orchestrating the offense they're not really running traditional sets right they didn't run a lot of pick and roll they run a lot of their action out of the post and i mean Embiid, if you look at his usage rates from the last couple of years they're astronomical yeah. like he's holding the ball an insane amount and a lot of those turnovers are coming from him getting stripped because he's getting double teamed or trying to make passes out of the post um or you know trying to put the ball on the floor when he catches it 20 feet from the basket and you know maybe uh with you know, a steady or just like an, another secondary ball handler in there, right? Because even having JJ Redick as your two, he's not really a guy who handles the ball a lot, right? He's a guy you want to have running off of screens and catching and shooting. So there wasn't a lot of secondary playmaking on that team either. And I think, you know, the more playmaking they can inject, uh, the less stress I think is going to be put on a guy like Embiid and even, you know, to a lesser extent, Simmons, where they're not asked to do quite as much. Um, and, you know, maybe that helps with the turnover issues. And maybe we start to see them running a little bit more pick and roll if Fultz can be that guy who can get his shot off the dribble um, or prove that, you know, he can be like he can draw enough attention basically to open up passing lanes out of the pick and roll. All right. Moving on to the um, Indiana Pacers, who won 48 games last year, but um, are only listed for 45.5 wins by Vegas. Um, most people agree that the Pacers uh, had a really nice offseason um, so why is their win total lower than last season Cash I think it's a combination of maybe not maybe I, I still think people don't necessarily buy into what the Pacers did last season for as good as Victor Oladipo was and as good as they were um, as a team they were kind of like middle of the pack on both ends of the floor they were stable they were steady they beat good teams they took care of bad teams um, but I still don't think people necessarily buy that they were as good as their record was. Even after they took Cleveland to seven games, I still don't know if, you know, Victor Oladipo famously said after that game seven, he said something along the lines of like, well, at least now they respect us or like, you know, everyone has to respect us now. And that lasted for like a week. And now, you know, we're in the (laughs) summer and people are expecting them to get worse. Seriously. Um, I think, you know, I I think this is pretty online. I think the Pacers are a solid team. Um, The McDoug, the, you know, Dougie McBucket's contract mm-hmm. still doesn't make any sense to me, but I did like the uh, the Tyreek Evans and Kyle Quinn moves. I think they'll be solid, but 48 wins is a lot when you're kind of a mediocre team, and I still think they're a slightly above average mediocre team that's going to win in the mid 40. So I'm I'm actually 40, 45 and a half. I'm going to go under at 45 and 37. See, this is this is where I kind of agree with you because like, what is this team good at? Is it is it good at offense? Is it good at defense? They're middle like, of the pack on both ends. Yeah, right. So it's not necessarily unfair that they would get to you know forty five point five. Maybe they're at forty six. Who knows? And it's a slight over, but um, yeah, I just don't really see what this team is elite at. And um, you know, maybe Oladipo takes another leap, which would be phenomenal. Maybe Miles Turner takes another leap. Miles Turner is on that. Uh, Oladipo uh, offseason regiment and you know who knows if he comes back better then that gives him a secondary star but um, I mean this team shot like insanely good on long twos last year and that was a big part of their offense and maybe Vegas sees a little bit of regression coming from that end because 
you know, that's not really sustainable year after year. But Wolfon, you're probably the highest of the three of us on the Pacers, and you've been high on them for you know pretty much this last season. Um, tell us why we're wrong. Look, I think for anybody who thought that the regular season the Pacers had last year was fool's gold or that they were punching above their weight, they, I think, dispelled that pretty definitively in the playoffs. And I know that Cavs team wasn't any great shakes, but going to Game 7 against that team, very nearly pulling out that Game 7 win uh, against the team that ultimately won the Eastern Conference is, I think, something to hang your hat on. And I do think they got better in the offseason. And look, I I think one of the concerns about them is that they don't have a ton of top-end talent. But Oladipo was a top-15 player in the league last year. And you're talking about him making another leap. I don't think you know he was going to make another leap like he made last year. Because if he did, frankly, he would be the best player in the NBA. Ever. So. <laughs> um, but if he can take another small step forward, then, you know, you're talking about a guy who's a borderline top 10 player and you're surrounding him, I think, with like just some really nice complementary pieces. And you have spot up jump shooters like Darren Collison, who, who was ridiculous from three last year. You add Doug McDermott, you have Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, and then you add a guy in Tyreek Evans, who is, I think, the, the secondary playmaker that they were really missing last year. And... Look, I, I don't know whether he's going to carry over what he did last year. Like, I think you would probably lean toward looking at, you know, his seven-year career sample before last season and say that that's more representative of what he can do. Like, I don't know if he's going to shoot 40% from three again. But what really kneecapped them in the playoffs, I think, was not having, you know, any reliable secondary playmaking and things kind of breaking down for their offense once Oladipo was getting trapped and the ball was coming out of his hands. Their defense, I think, uh, really showed out in that first round series. I, I am still worried about their lack of, like, reliable wing defenders. They don't have a lot of size on the wing. And, like, outside of Thaddeus Young, um, as good a job as they somehow managed to do containing LeBron James in that first round series... I don't have a ton of faith in, in that carrying over, and I think big wings are going to be able to have their way with uh, with Indiana's wing rotation. But, like, I don't know. I, you're right. Like, they're not elite, elite on either end of the floor. Like, I think they have the potential to be a top 10 offense and maybe, like, a top 15 defense. But to me, that's good enough to get better than 45 and a half wins, right? Like, um, this to me should be – like, they should be able to at least match their record from last year if they stay healthy. So I would definitely take the over. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do because they're a team that has a lot to prove. Um, and I'm excited to see them try and prove it. Um, the next team on the list, the Milwaukee Bucks, also listed for 45.5 wins by Vegas. They won 44 last year. Um, they had a busy offseason in which they hired Mike Budenholzer. Um, nobody remembers who was there before. Nobody remembers Joe Prunty. No one knows what he looks like. I mean, it's just wild that Joe Prunty got to be a coach. Um, but Ursula Silva, they brought him in, Brooke Lopez. They drafted Dante DiVincenzo, and they lost Jabari Parker and Brandon Jennings. Um, I don't think the talent on this team has changed too much, but maybe they're forecasting that Bud can get the best out of Giannis, and that translates to another two wins. This this list is going to start getting real depressing very soon. I the Bucks are just, first of all, free honest. The I'm serious. The the Bucks management uh, in putting talent on Giannis Antetokounmpo just remains so disappointing. They brought 
Ilya Soba back for what seems like his 11th time. This guy must have the key to the city at this point because <laughs> Ersan Ilya Soba has been a buck too many times for me to remember, for me to count. Like, Milwaukee's still a solid team. Um, they're To me, they're very similar in the way we just talked about Indiana in that I don't think they're necessarily great at anything. They could be good defensively, I guess, but the one difference to me is as good as Oladipo is, he's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is on just another level of superstardom and you know, conceivably should get better because he is still that young and is still, it's crazy to say it, but he's still kind of like growing into his body and learn, you know what I mean? Learning how to use this like size and length. And he's a late bloomer to basketball. So uh, to me, they're very much in that kind of race with Indiana for like the four seed, but I, I might have Milwaukee, even though I think Indiana's a more well-constructed team. I think Giannis's just ability to do so much on the court on both ends elevates them a little bit. And, and just because of that, I guess, I'm, oh, but even that, 45 and a half for this team, like the East is so like this. Like you look at a team and you're like, oh, they're solid. They can be the four seed, but then you're like, oh man, are they really better than a 45 and 37 win team? But like how many more years can Giannis just go like, uh, like and dragging this team to like mid, like at a certain point, they've got to do better than 44 wins, right? Which is what I think they ended up with last year. Um, he's so, so good. It's just... And and even, like, the secondary talent there is not that bad. Like, Chris Middleton is, like, a pretty solid secondary option. He's a borderline all-star. Like, you know, the guy can defend. He's got size. He can post up. He can obviously shoot. He had an incredible first-round series last year against the Celtics. Um, I just think there's enough here, again, uh, to do better than 45 wins. And I do think, you know... Going from Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty to a full season of Bud on the bench should be enough to bump you up a couple of wins. I think one thing they should be hoping for is a little bit of positive regression from Bledsoe. I have to think that he's better than what he showed last year. Like I always liked him as a player, um, and he was super, super disappointing. And I don't know if that was just like adjusting to the change of scenery adjusting to maybe not having the ball in his hands as much because the offense was being run through Giannis a lot of the time. Whatever it was, like he just didn't look like himself, and maybe that's who he is as a player at this point, but I think you know if Milwaukee does want to take that next step, they need more out of him. So, man, I don't know. I would take the over tenuously, <laughs> uh, but I just, like you're saying, man, it's, it's going to get to a free Giannis situation at some point because the fact that a guy this good is toiling away on like a 42-43 win team is gonna get kind of depressing <laughs> i'll take the over tenuously is gonna be the name of the 30 for 30 on the 2018-19 eastern conference <laughs> yeah seriously no the pacers the bucks the wizards the pistons the heat i can't be confident in any <laughs> should, of these teams should we just end this podcast under. now i mean that's why we won so long in the first three teams all right <laughs> because we knew um i think in order for milwaukee to get to that next level they really need to get some kind of permanency out of their point guard and center positions like people always say that like those are the two positions where you really have to structure your team and have balance and they've always been strong in the wings um because of Giannis and eventually because of Middleton as well but like their point guard situation is just very confusing like are they going to go with like Brogdon who I think is a better fit or are they going to go with Bledsoe who has a higher ceiling but doesn't necessarily do the things they need what they need is a guy who's going to play shut down defense from the point of attack um, who can hit an outside three and you know who doesn't necessarily need the ball as much so that Giannis can have it or at least be a really good playmaker to get Giannis into those positions where he can score very easily 
Bledsoe is still a guy who I think is clinging to like a little bit of star power, and he thinks that you know his place in this league is to be an all-star point guard, and in order to do that, he needs to put up I don't know twenty and eight, and like that's just not what the Bucks need him to do. It wasn't really a great idea to add him last trade deadline, and it didn't really work out, especially in the playoffs. But you know the talent is still there, and if Bud gets him to buy in, I think that would help a lot. And also just at center, like what are they doing at center? Are they going to put Giannis at center? Or are they going to put um, John Henson out there for like the fifteenth year in a row? Are they going to put Ersan Ilyasova there as a fake center? Um, Brooke are, Lopez. Brooke Lopez, which again doesn't really fit this team, right? What you need out of this team is a guy who rebounds really well. This team doesn't rebound well, and they brought in literally a, a seven footer that grabs like five rebounds a game. I I think Brooke's shooting. Yes, Brooke Lopez is shooting, which he's become a stretch big. I think that actually does help them. Like, that, okay. I think this team is that desperate for shooting that, like, you can look to Brooke Lopez's shooting as something that could help, like, open up the offense. And I know they did; they actually finished top ten in offense last year. But I do still think they need help on that end of the floor. They need to space things out, and that's why, like, Joe was talking about Eric Bledsoe being disappointing. You know, after he joined the Bucks, I don't even necessarily see it as him being disappointing. I saw it more as like Eric Bledsoe was not what this team needed last year. They didn't need like a rampaging, a rampaging rim running guard that can't shoot. They needed to kind of what Will mentioned, a guard maybe that can just defend the point of attack and knock down an open shooter. And I don't know what Bledsoe is either of these at this point in his career. Yeah, that, that was the weirder thing to me was that he just wasn't there defensively at all. And like early in his career, he was one of the best point guard defenders at the point of attack. Uh, like he was physical, like he has length. Um, and, and for whatever reason, like he just couldn't stay in front of anybody last year, you know, whether it was for lack of effort or, you know, lack of ability at this point. Uh I don't entirely know what happened to him with that end of the floor, but also, like, they, there were some seasons in his career where he shot, like, you know, 35, 36, 37% from three, and he just wasn't that guy last year either. Like, he was not an effective three-point shooter. So, you know, I've seen enough from him in the past to believe that that ability is still there. I think you're right. It's not a seamless fit, but I would agree that having a floor spacing big is going to help them in that regard. Actually, having a couple floor spacing bigs in Ilyasova and Brooke um, I don't know how much they go to the Giannis at center look. They did not really use it last year at all. I don't know what Thon Maker is going to look like and how he's going to factor into this whole equation. But, I mean, I think the biggest issue for this team over the last few years is they just haven't really drafted particularly well. And they don't have a ton of guys on the roster who you look at and say, oh, that guy is going to grow into this role. That guy is going to take a leap. Like, this team isn't necessarily getting anywhere on the back of internal improvement outside of Giannis. And, like, how much better can he get at this point? You know, like, how far can he really take them when the pieces around him aren't really working? So, I mean, I don't know. I, I would probably take the over um, again. But, like, we're <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just ripping teams. and be like, but they're going to take the over. Well, but, like, sucks. I just, like, I have to believe at some point that, like, you know, like with a with a player as talented as Giannis on the team, that they can win more than forty five games, and maybe this is the year. So, wow. wow. Okay, uh, moving on from one un- <laughs> ringing endorsement. Of moving the on from one uninspiring Eastern Conference contender to another, the Washington Wizards. I've been waiting, um, you know, forty minutes to talk about the Wizards because they are just such a fun team to think about to talk about to slander and for them to slander themselves. They won forty three games last year. Um, John Wall was hurt for half the season and um, really not in peak John Wall shape. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're listed here for 44.5 wins. They added four-time 
uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Dwight Howard. Um, also four-time Team Cancer, Dwight Howard. Well, that's also true. Uh, Jeff Green and Austin Rivers, which is going to make for a very exciting locker room dynamic in Washington, which has certainly never been the, the case in Washington when they've had dysfunctional locker rooms. Um, and they lost Marching Gortat, which is actually going to help that dysfunction because Gortat and John Wall hated each other. Uh, and they lost Mike Scott, who was actually surprisingly very effective for um, the Wizards and a real loss. But um, first off, just how much is healthy John Wall going to improve this team? And also, how much is Dwight Howard going to limit and cut against that help? Well, first of all, like healthy John Wall. John Wall's only getting older and is a guy that relies basically solely on speed and athleticism. Like, I don't know as he gets older, how much we can expect to see healthy John Wall. He didn't look all that healthy at Team USA Yeah, Mini he Camp. surely no, no, did he not. Looked, he looked healthy. He looked healthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, the Wizards are... Basically what the Wizards have done is they've doubled down on guys who, to me, like, they have no self-awareness when it comes to their place in the NBA. I'm serious. Like, John Wall is a great player, a great point guard who... When healthy and when engaged, you know, can basically play with anybody in the NBA. But the reason that the Wizards can never win 50 games, like literally, they haven't won 50 games in, I think, the 70s. Okay. And the reason that this core with John Wall and Bradley Beal and Otto Porter can never get to 50 wins is because for as much talent as they have, A, Ernie Grunfeld isn't a good general manager. That's another story for another podcast. But B, like, a guy like John Wall is not the bring it 82 times a year guy like he's not gonna be John Wall at his best every random Tuesday night in Charlotte like that's just not gonna happen and you've seen it over the course of John Wall's career now that might not be a personality thing maybe it is health maybe whatever the case but like at some point when you've seen it over and over and over again you just have to accept it for what it is um like this team for whatever reason cannot get the most out of their collective talent they're gonna win in the low to mid 40s they're probably going to be out in the first round second round if everything goes best they're probably going to hate each other because that's what they do and they brought in Dwight Howard like this is what I'm saying John Wall thinks he's you know the best point guard in the game I get it you have to think like that if you're right but he's not Bradley Beal for as good as he is isn't as good as he seems to think when he talks trash about like other teams and other stars and Otto Porter is, is actually solid I just like Otto Porter he's a great 3 and D player um, but Dwight Howard like Dwight Howard if you listen to comments he makes in the offseason like seems to think you know he always seems to think he's like one year away from recapturing the magic of when he was one of the most dominant physical big men of all time he's not okay yeah, he's going to evolve into his own version of anthony davis right Haven't you like, heard th- those comments are ridiculous from his trainer whoever said it i don't think that guy understands evolution whoever right said no that. definitely not and i don't think dwight howard understands much of anything when it comes to his place <laughs> in the nba i'm still like he has ever how can you go to however many teams he's been on now, and every single one of them after you leave, whether it's a coach, a player, someone, an executive, basically throws you under the bus, says you were a terrible teammate and that you fractured the locker room. Like, at some point, you have to look at yourself, and you can't always look at it as like, well, I got an unfair rap, and these guys don't understand me. No, man, at some point, you are what your track record says you are, and you are a team cancer joining a team that already doesn't like each other and already underachieves every year. What can you expect from this team? I almost think that that's what makes this a good fit for Dwight Howard is like there's no locker room culture to ruin like you know the the culture is already in shambles so 
Like, why not just add Dwight Howard? It's probably not going to get any worse than it already is. And Howard is at least an on-court upgrade over Gortat. So I don't hate that move. And I'm actually like, this is another team where I feel like internal improvement could play a big factor. And Bradley Beal, to me, gets better every single year. And you're talking about John Wall not being a bring in 82 games a year type of guy. Like, two years ago, he was incredible. That season, like, start to finish, he was, you know, I think close to being a top 10 player that year. And they won 49 games. Like, they, that is the talent level on this team. Like, between Wall and Beal, that's a, a dynamic backcourt. And, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, what Kelly Oubre can do in his third season. Um, or is it his fourth season? Uh, I mean, Otto Porter is like a really good complimentary piece, a 3 and D guy uh, who complements that backcourt really, really well. And again, I mean, I, I, Dwight Howard does a lot of the same things Gortat does, but I just, I just think he does them a little bit better. Uh, he's still a high-end defensive player. And look, you know, he's a guy who has graded on people and coaches in the past because he seems to think that he's a post-up player when he clearly isn't. But I just don't think that option is really going to be available to him in this system. Like, he knows that Beal and Wall are going to be the ones handling the ball most of the time, and that wasn't really the case in Charlotte, where, you know, you had Kemba Walker, but you didn't really have any other creators. Uh, You know, you didn't really have that in Atlanta either. Um, So I think he's probably, if he doesn't realize it already, going to learn in short order that, like, the the offense is not going to run through him. Like, he's going to be there to set screens and roll to the basket, rebound, play defense, and... I think that there's a chance that it could work out, at least to the point that, you know, they can exceed 44 and a half wins. All I know is that this team is going to be the most hilarious villain that we've seen in a long, long time. And also that, you know, uh, what's it, Scott Brooks might, might quit. Like, just in like, by January. And just we like, even, I'm done. We haven't even talked about Austin Rivers. Like, another, oh, you God. talk about self-awareness in the NBA and, like, not necessarily, like, knowing kind of where he fits in the pecking order. They added him, too. I'm telling you, this team's going to bring guns back to the locker room. This yeah. going to be the first team in NBA history to bring guns to the locker room twice. Um, I'm going. I'm going. Watch, watch for that Ernie Grunfeld extension, though. If they're, oh. like, if they're like four and two, he'll get an. I, I think extension. there's like a report out there that he already got that signed because you know he made the playoffs again. That's all they care about. Um, I, I also can really see like a scenario where the Wizards somehow get to like the six seed and then like knock off the Sixers, and they just like are full of swagger and then they just collapse in the second round. Like, man, Washington sports is uh, quite sad. Other than the Capitals, shout out to them. Um, let's just speed through the rest of these teams because they're very uninspiring. The Detroit Pistons um, added the coach of the year in Dwayne Casey uh, and also Jose Calderon and Zaza Pachulia for no particularly good reason. And they lost superstar role player Anthony Tolliver. All right, I don't know how any team could survive the loss of Anthony Tolliver and his 44% three-point shooting on five attempts per game. Um, but they have a full season of Blake Griffin uh, and yet they are only scheduled to win 40.5 games. After winning 39 games last year, um, I think that's actually fair, and I'm actually going to take the under just because I think Tobias Harris at this point is a better fit for that roster than Blake Griffinage, which is really weird that they traded you know um, the two of them for each other. So, Cash, what do you think? Well, I think a that trade for Detroit was as much about trying to put butts in seats and like trying to sell tickets and trying to like appeal to anybody in downtown Detroit to go watch them in their new arena, and it still didn't really work. But um, look, I I don't think this team's particularly good. But I do think they're a 500 or slightly better team if healthy. I think um, I don't, it's not the, the best fit having Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond together and even Reggie Jackson. But I do think there is enough talent there. And I do think 
if there's one thing I think Dwayne Casey can do, it's like kind of get this team organized and and they'll have some sort of identity and they'll play to their strengths. And he's gonna make he's gonna try to push their boundaries, you know, like whether it's Andre Drummond saying he's gonna, you know, told me in Vegas he's taking 200 corner threes a day, making 200 corner threes a day because the coaching staff now wants him to be that kind of player. Now I, must take him all day. Yeah, it's not, you know, that's not saying it's gonna work. That's not saying it's gonna work, but I do think Dwayne Casey's gonna try different things and try to push the boundaries with this team and get the most out of the talent that is there and have them organized. And again, as we've said with like 11 teams already in the Eastern Conference, that's probably enough. I do think they're a playoff team. I think they can win like 42, 43 games. So I'll take the over. I would also take the over. Um, I just think Dwayne Casey is such a good regular season coach. uh, And he has always managed to wring maximum effort out of his players on a night to night basis. And I think the biggest weakness for this team by far is their wing rotation. Like, they just do not have any good wings. And that's going to be really tough for them to deal with, um, particularly the defensive end, I think, because they at least have guys who can kind of spot up around um, Blake, who can be a, a really solid playmaker. And, you know, it, like, Luke Kennard can shoot threes. Uh, Reggie Bullock can shoot threes. Like, no, these guys, I mean, look, like you at least have guys who can space the floor around, say, like a Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll. It's not terrible, but like defensively, I don't know how that's really going to work. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there is enough talent on this team to think, you know, with Dwayne Casey there and able to maximize that talent that they can be a 500 or better team. So I'll take the over. Um, yeah, they have the worst guards and wings in the entire league. And I don't know, you, you could just win in that with that formula in the NBA right now, which is also crazy that they have the worst uh, guards and wings. I, I'm talking about like Ish Smith is their best point guard. Maybe Reggie Jackson when healthy is their best point guard, but he's missed 67 games for the last two years. And he's just quite frankly, not the same player he used to be. Uh, and then like you mentioned, man, Bullock is eh, okay. Like a, a solid fifth starter. Um, he actually took a lot of steps uh, last season, but I mean, we still got to see him perform consistently. And then, Canard is crafty, I guess, but Stanley really bad Johnson, who Dwayne Casey says is better physically built to defend LeBron James than anybody in the league. He also said he saw shades of uh, a young Dirk and Henry Ellenson, which I can only mean think that he meant physically. But um, yeah, I mean the roster is just limited in talent. Shades. So he meant Hughes. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> meant Hughes. Um, uh, all right, let's the Miami Heat forty point five wins. They made no new additions. And lost no players this offseason. It's the most anti-Miami offseason ever. They won 44 games last year. 40.5 seems low considering they'll get Deion Waiters back and healthy, which is might is a positive, I think, if, really for this team because they struggled offensively and they've always been solid uh, defensively under Spo. But um, I don't know. I, I think that's an over, but that's mostly just because of the strength of coaching. Like I think Spo is a phenomenal basketball coach. Yeah, he is. And then, you know, Goran Dragic is, you know, still one of the more underrated players in the league. He, he'll he get you going most nights. Hassan Whiteside, I'm not the biggest Hassan Whiteside fan, but I still think he has enough of his moments to, to help you in the regular season, at least. Like, they've got some depth. They've got guys like Justice Winslow and, like, Tyler Johnson. And they're not, they're not good, but I don't know. I feel like they're fine. They're serviceable. And... Yeah, when you put them around Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside, maybe like three out of every eight games, there's enough there to win 41 games. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, this team is aggressively mediocre. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, 
I, I would take the under here, I think. Um, I know they went over it last season, but Dragic, I feel like it's starting to slow down a little bit. Um, Whiteside, I don't think is a plus player at this point in time. I, I really like Adebayo, and I feel like, Bam. you know, uh, Bam and and also Josh Richardson, who took a huge step forward last year, and, like, I, I'm, I'm really high on him. They just, like, all of these guys settle in as being, like, you know, okay to pretty good. And, you know, there's something to be said for not having any significant minus type of players. Like, they have a lot of depth when it comes to just having guys who don't suck. Right. Um, but they don't really have anyone who's, like, a, a very good player. You know, despite the fact that Goran Dragic was an all-star last year, um, he, was, he was certainly not a great uh, player last year. He wasn't, like, you know, in any other season, like, I don't think that he's an all-star. It just so happened that... The East was really diluted, and there were a ton of injuries also. So, um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't know that a team like this lacking in high-end talent can can win 41 or more games, as good as Spo is as a coach. We were talking about guys with, like, no self-awareness about their place in the league. Hassan Whiteside might be the captain of that team because that dude thinks he is a superstar. Well, and Deion Waiters is uh, probably the sixth man on that team, and he's also They should team. find a way to get to Washington. Oh my God! These yeah, these two teams would, would make for a really good fight actually between the two of them. Um, not good basketball wise though. Um, the Charlotte Hornets thirty five point five wins by Vegas, thirty six wins uh, last season. Anytime you can get Bismack Biombo twice, you got to do it. Um, but obviously they did it so that they could get rid of uh, um, who, whose contract were they trying to get rid of? Why did they get? How did they get Biombo again? Uh, uh, they got rid of him. All right. Okay, true. Okay, so yeah, exactly, right? So they were trying to get rid of Dwight, which honestly, if you got to take Biombo to get back to Dwight, at least it's a great for your locker room because Biombo is a very lovable human. Um, I mean, they added Mikel Bridges through the draft, and then they lost MCW. They lost uh, Dwight, which is a positive, and I guess they technically lost Mozgov, although I guess that's... I don't know, man. The, the Hornets don't matter. I was gonna they're going to win 36 games these, again. These last uh, seven teams in the East, I feel like you could just be like, ah, the over-under doesn't really matter. They're going to suck or it'd be depressingly yeah. mediocre. Um, I might even go over here because I can see Charlotte winning like 37, 38 games and hanging in the most depressing playoff race ever for most of the year and still missing them. Like, I don't think they're a playoff team, but I could see them winning like 37, 38 games. They have uh, like dramatically underperformed their point differential the last couple of years. Like they've had the point differential basically of a 500 team, and I would almost certainly take the over on this if I had any faith that Kemba was going to be on the team by the end of the season. Um, I feel like, I mean, you never know, and especially with that team that has like been so in love with the idea of being an eight seed over the last few years that you know maybe they don't entertain the idea of trading him. They absolutely should. I, I don't see him sticking around long term and, and re-signing next summer. So I think they'd be wise to explore that possibility. And if they're like you know a, a few games under five hundred come January, I think it, it, you know if they're smart and forward thinking that they're gonna uh, start kicking some tires on Kemba deals. So I feel like with that possibility on the table, I would be inclined to take the under just because they could end up going into the tank at the end of the season. We, I feel like we haven't felt good about a team in like 35 minutes, and yet we're only nine. Like, 
out of I all know. the teams we've the just Hornets talked really about, make the playoffs. only one of the teams we just talked about is going to miss the playoffs. Like, we've only talked about nine teams. The, the East is so depressing. Get excited. Get excited. All right, the New York Knicks uh, won 29 games last year. Uh, Chris Tapps is not healthy, and he probably won't be back until at least February. Uh, and yet they are listed for 32.5 wins. This is the easiest uh, under I have on the entire list. Um, they added Hazonia and Kevin Knox, and you know Knox is cool, interesting, um, but you know not a very exciting uh, roster. Otherwise, uh, they lost Beasley, they lost O'Quinn. I mean, this team should be worse. And I think they're going to try to actively tank to get one of the top picks. Maybe grab a guy like Zion, which would be a phenomenal ad, really, or you know RJ, another phenomenal ad. Even, um, you know, Cam Reddish is not bad either. So, I don't know, man. This team is going to win 20 games. Yeah. Like, I'm very confident. They're losing 60. Yeah, this team is not going to – where are they getting this 32.5 number from? Are they just trying to sucker in Knicks fans, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Wolfon, do you even want to say anything about the Knicks or not? I I don't know. (laughs) This line is insane to me. Like, how – Porzingis is not going to play until probably at least February. And – Why should he play at all? I – he should like I, I don't know, man. I like I I think he probably wants to get out there being the competitor that he is, and I'm sure he's gonna be like rather than miss an entire season, he'll probably want to at least have the last couple of months to like work his way back into game shape. But thirty two and a half for a team that won twenty nine last year and lost its best player by far. Like who's their best player next year? Is Tim Hardaway Jr. this team's best player? Who who's their starting point guard? Uh it's got to be Frank. Frank Nidalekina, yeah. yeah. Who, it should who, be who just, to, just to get him reps. Just who, to get him reps, man. He looked like, terrible at Summer League. I mean, yeah, they, they have Frank, like, Moutier, Ron yeah. Baker. Like, th- their point guard rotation is really sad. And, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I Like, this line could be 22 and a half, and I would still be hammering the under it. The, this team is going to have games where they scru- struggle to score 32.5 points. And and you want me <laughs> to on, bet on man. them winning on. 32 and a half games? Uh all right, well, the Cleveland Cavaliers somehow listed below the Knicks. My God, they won 50 games last year. Obviously, they lost LeBron, so now they're at 31.5. They added Sam Decker. Um, they drafted Colin Sexton, but, of course, they lost LeBron. Uh, and, of course, you know, they, they re-signed Kevin Love. It's, that's cool, I guess. It's a bit expensive. We talked about that enough here. Um, I feel like uh, that's... This might be another under. I'm going under, man. <laughs> under, I think man. I think the Cavs. I think it might be similar to like the last time they lost LeBron, where they might seem respectable early in the season. Maybe Kevin Love has a great start to the year, and it's like fun, and Kevin Love's like an alpha again. But I think it'll very quickly melt down. Like this team's not good, and they're not. It's oh, this is I don't know, man. This is so depressing. Like look, look, the way we're talking about teams where their line is like 30, and we're like, ah, oh, they're not that good, man. It's like. <laughs> We're literally talking about a team expected to win, to lose 50-plus games, and we're saying that Vegas is being too generous to them. The Cavs suck. Like, yeah. let's be real, man. Like, they, it is astonishing how bad they were last year, given that LeBron played as well as he did, and as often as he did, leading the league in minutes and having, you know, statistically one of his best seasons ever. And, you know, by all their advanced metrics, they were like a middling team, you know, like they they had a uh, like by simple rating system, which is kind of like basketball basketball reference uses that to, uh, you know, it's like a use their point differential and also their strength of schedule to determine how good like the team actually was. They were 15th in the league. This team's really bad. And like, you know, Kevin Love 
whether or not he recaptures that Minnesota Kevin Love, uh, you know, operating from the elbows, being a playmaker, averaging 26 and 13, like those Timberwolves teams were not good either. And, you know, he had a better supporting cast there than he does in Cleveland, and he was five years younger. So I don't. I don't really see how this team even approaches respectability, to be honest. And Kevin Love is you know, kind of injury-prone as well. So I feel like there are going to be maybe 20 games where he doesn't play, where the best Cavalier on the floor is going to be who exactly? Beautiful city, though. At least they got that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, they were 29th in defensive rating last season, um, and they were 5th in offense. That was the only reason they won was because they were good on offense. You take LeBron out of that team, what is good about their offense? Like, can Kevin Love carry this team to even a league average offense? Because if this is going to be a bottom five team defensively and a bottom 10 team offensively, then this is definitely going to be a 31 team. Like that, I think that's, that's really the sad well, fact. And they're almost flirting with the over. That's true, actually. Wow. <laughs> but yo, seriously, like George Hill and his very injured prone body is going to be what, their starting point guard. Um, they got Jordan Clarkson. Rodney Hood is like just nowhere to be found. Like someone, please sign yeah, Rodney he's Hood. Still like, a free agent. He's still a free agent. No one has cap room. He's negotiating with nobody. He like, also was as bad in the playoffs as I've ever seen in rotation. Hey, he, he scored like three buckets against Draymond in a meaningless game. So that's something at least. Um, yeah, I mean it's tough, man. It's it's this is a tough tough roster. You probably they're probably gonna trade Kyle Korver for a second round pick eventually. Like, yeah, it's not looking good. All right. The Orlando Magic. Do we need to talk about Orlando Magic? How did they go from 25 wins to 30.5? Is it because they added Mozgov and Mo Bamba while re-signing Aaron Gordon? I mean, they lost their leading assist man, Shelvin Mack, at 3.9 assists. That was my favorite Magic moment last season. Like, the year before that was the whiteboard when they, like, accidentally leaked their plans to go get um, Serge Ibaka back for some reason, um, which I'm sure the Raptors would very much encourage right now. Um and then this past season, they put out a congratulations, Shelvin Mack, for leading the team in assists with 3.9 assists per game. And they lost him. They lost him. <laughs> Listen, I, um, I think the Magic are trying to get on the right track um, since they hired Jeff Weltman. Uh, like, they're in a new, you know what I mean? You can't fault this regime for the mistakes of the past. Having said that, this roster's terrible. Um, doesn't fit together all that well and not even being in the East can save them they got off to that great start last year and it still didn't mean anything Aaron Gordon was really good last year even though he tailed off towards the end he was still really good and it didn't amount to anything from like a team success standpoint I don't think they're much better if at all this year um, I don't think they're winning 30 games I this this is beating me down man like this is affecting my mood this I I am going to take the over on 30 and a half for the Magic. Uh, choosing to be an optimist here to get Jonathan Isaac back. You know, he's got some serious defensive upside. Um, obviously, having Mobamba there, like, tremendous defensive upside there. So I think that this is a team that has a chance to be, you know, in the top 15 defensively, maybe even, like, top 12. And I think if they can, they can do that... Uh, if they put even a semi-competent offense together, which, you know, is asking a lot of a team that doesn't really have a ton of offensive talent, then they can definitely win, you know, 31 or more games. And I think I'm pretty high on Aaron Gordon and what he can be. He's still super young and uh, I think really impressed me with the strides he made last year as a shooter, uh, as a, a playmaker, um, you know, and, and he's just great in the open floor as well. Like, and he's got a lot of defensive uh, versatility he can switch. Um, 
So, I mean, look, their, their roster is really not well constructed. They obviously have a super crowded front court and not a whole lot going on in the backcourt. Uh, another team that doesn't really seem to have a capable point guard. But, um, you know, Evan Fournier is decent and Jonathan Simmons is decent. And if they can find a way to, like, make those front court pieces fit together, I feel like they can be good enough on the defensive end of the floor to, uh, you know, cobble together 32 or 33 wins. I, I will say that I think out of these teams, like out of Hawks, Bulls, Nets, Magic, Cavs, Knicks, maybe even Hornets, like I, I almost feel like the Magic are the ones that I could see if any of them can kind of break into the playoff race somehow, maybe the Magic. What do you, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Okay, look, the Magic are like the Detroit Pistons without good bigs, all right? Like... They brought in Jerry and Grant, and he will probably start th- for this team. All right? I don't know what you guys are talking about. This team, look, the front court thing is a real issue, all right? Because they need Vucevic for his scoring, but they also need to play Bamba. Isaac is a four, maybe even a five, but he's probably going to play four because of Bamba. But then Aaron Gordon's best position is a four, so Gordon has to slide down. And then they rely on Terrence Ross. Like it, it, uh, it's, it's too much, man. Um, Bamba will be exciting now. Yeah. I think Bomba's going to be great. Also, that song is a banger. Um, Brooklyn Nets, 28.5. After winning 28 last year, they added Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Kenneth Fareed, and Shabazz Napier. They lost Jeremy Lin and Dante Cunningham, and they re-signed Joe Harris. Um, yeah, 28 seems very reasonable. I don't. I, this isn't the same roster as last year, just with a bunch of vets that aren't invested in this situation whatsoever. I'm going to take the over on 28.5. Again... Full of optimism about these lower tier Eastern Conference teams, man. The Nets, I think, you know, I, I like the the possibilities here as far as like uh, internal development on this roster. I think I really liked what I saw from Jared Allen last year. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I'm a fan of Karis Levert, and I have to think that they can get more out of D'Angelo Russell. Like I, I still believe in him, at least to a certain extent. Like I I don't think he should be you know, being usurped on the depth chart by Spencer Dinwiddie, as good as Dinwiddie was last year. Like, I, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there with Russell still. So I definitely think there's enough talent on this roster to get over 28 wins. Um, I think they have obviously like a pretty firm ceiling. And again, like they're going to run into the same problem of just like not really having any high end talent. But I think they have enough, you know, decent to good players uh, that they can, you know, fatten up on some of these really, really terrible, uh, you know, seller-dwelling Eastern Conference teams, so. I think their ceiling is like 32 wins, but... Um, and I've but, their on, floor, but their floor, but their floor is like... Their floor is like 27, maybe right. no, their floor is probably <laughs> lower than that, but um, I will say, though, that I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I do low-key love what Sean Marks is doing with this team and, like, how he's kind of quietly resurrected them mm-hmm. from the doldrums that Billy King had. Oh, they, re- oh they resurrected him from uh, a 28-win team to a 28.5-win team, <laughs> yes. baby. Marge has done a good work behind the scenes to get yeah. some young talent, recoup some draft assets. They have like $80 million in cap and room next get year. cap space yeah. with a decent front office now in a New York market. Like That has to count for something. Um. Yeah, but chances are it probably won't. All right. Uh, the Chicago Bulls also listed at 28.5 wins after winning 27 last year. It's probably going to be a little disappointing for them because I think Bulls fans are very optimistic. But I think Bulls fans are becoming the new Knicks fans because they're just perpetually optimistic about really terrible teams. Jabari Parker was an addition for them. Um, you know, 
depends on how high you are on Jabari, but maybe that could help them. Um, the Bulls were 28th in offense last year, so uh, you figure that a guy like Jabari could help. And then Wendell Carter is a prospect I really like. Defensively, he's very versatile, um, and they've really lost nobody of note, like you know Jerry Grant and Noah Vonley. And they re-signed Zach Levine, who should be healthier. I think this is a, a team that should be going over. Because, like, look, this team was shameful in sort of the ways it went about uh, tanking last year. 28th in offensive rating, 28th in defensive rating. Um, I don't think the defensive rating is going to improve by much, but I think this is, should be a top 15 offensive club based on the fact that you got Markinen, you got Carter, you've got... Um, Jabari, you got Levine. Like, these guys are not good defensively. Well, I guess except for Carter, but they are good offensively. And I think that is going to, you know, separate them from a team like, you know, Orlando or, um, you know, Brooklyn. But who knows, man? <laughs> the Bulls are like, not good. I, I like Randall Carter. I like Markinen, Levine. We talked about why I thought, even though they overpaid him, why I understood why they brought him back. Um, but this team is going to be terrible, and I'm going to go under. Jabari Parker is going to do a lot of good things to the Chicago community. Won't laugh at that. But this guy said in his introductory press conference or wherever it was that, you know, like guys don't get play, paid to play defense. He basically admitted that he's not going to play defense. And I guess that should, like everyone knew he wasn't going to be playing defense. But the fact that he actually admitted it tells you a lot about what Bulls fans can expect this year. In a way, I'm impressed with his honesty. Um, but this team's going to suck. Like, they're terrible. Yeah, I think, uh, I feel like if I had to pick a team to finish 30th in defense, the Bulls would be, like, an easy pick. What um, about the Cavaliers? The Cavs would be also is admitting they're not going to play defense. Yeah, no, the, I think the Cavs would be also a good pick. But if I had to choose, like, I think the Bulls are the best bet to finish dead last in defense this year. And I don't even know if I see them as being, like, an upper half offensive team like I, I think like they as much as like they have guys who can score they don't really have any guys who can score efficiently and like I know Levine was coming back from an ACL tear last year so maybe it's not a representative sample but his true shooting percentage was like 49% last year which is really abysmal and um, I mean I do like Markinen. like I feel like Markinen could grow into being like a, an all-star type of player but I just don't know if this is the, the right roster for him. Like, and Levine just, like, being the kind of poor distributor that he is. Like, Chris Dunn is a middling playmaker, I think. Like, I don't know if those those are the guys who are basically going to put him in position to really succeed. Um, but again, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's probably enough talent there to go over 28 and a half wins. I just don't like the fit. Um, so I'll also take the under. Okay, and then finally, we get to the Atlanta Hawks. 26.5 wins. They won 24 last year. They added Jeremy Lin. Um, they drafted Trey Young and, um, you know, traded away Doncic. And they added Alex Len. Not a lot of people talk about the Hawks getting Alex Len, but they got Alex Len. Uh, and they lost Dennis Schroeder. They lost Mike Muscala. And they lost Mike Budenholzer. But they replaced him with Lloyd Pierce, who um, nobody knows anything about really Lloyd Pierce. But I, I wish him good luck with his team. Um, the roster here is just really poor. And they're they're tanking again. They don't care about the flat and lottery odds. They're tanking again, and um, yeah, twenty six point five. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna make sure they win less than twenty six point five. Not not necessarily because they have to, um, but because they want to. I to tell you how bad this roster is. 
an over-under of 26.5 is egregiously high. Yes, definitely. I mean, look, who is their starting center? <laughs> uh, do they no? Yeah, do John they have Collins, probably. John, John Collins is six foot nine. Do okay, have, he's not a center. Do they have Deadman still? No, where's Dwayne Deadman now? I, I think he's still there. Oh, okay. he picked up his player option. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, no. I, look, I think there are going to be a lot of growing pains with this team. I think that's probably what you want to see too for a team that is probably trying to lose games. Like, why not just throw Trey Young out there and you know see what he can do? Like, maybe let him fail a little bit, but like. Definitely give them the reps. I think that's what they'll do, and I think it's you know there's going to be a lot of growing pains, um, and, and it's going to be a tough season to watch. So I would definitely take the under on twenty six and a half. But like again, this season isn't about winning games for them; it's about uh, developing their young players and also being bad enough to uh, you know add to that core. Um, and their future could end up looking pretty bright because they're going to have their own pick next year. They're going to have that Dallas pick as well. So uh, you know w- th- this season is about. <laughs> I mean, maybe they can salvage something out of Alex Len, uh, but this season to me is like is just like all about Trey Young, and Torian Prince maybe as well. Like he's an interesting player who I think could give them something. Like I don't think he's going to be a cornerstone necessarily, but he could be an important role player for them moving forward. So uh, young reps uh, reps for the young guys and like um, a lot of losses. I'm just very excited for the the Hawks to eventually buy out Jeremy Lin, and Jeremy Lin can end up on a good team again because it's uh, been a couple of years in the wilderness for Jeremy. And, you know, maybe he finds his way back to the Warriors as like a third-string point guard, to, and uh, he wins another ring or something like that. That's probably the best-case scenario for the Hawks all season because this team is terrible, man. All right, well, that ends this very depressing podcast. Um, look, the Eastern Conference is not going to be the conference to watch. The Western Conference, way better. If you are on the East Coast, just, you know, stay up later, generally. Train yourself to uh, watch games until 1 a.m. in the morning. And um, while you're following along to those games, you know, you want to check out the Score app for all your latest breaking news, for all your um, game alerts, for um, our growing feature department, which um, all three of us are going to be featured on. Um, You can read about things like... um, you know, Zion Williamson and why he could be the number one pick and other features um, that are written not by me. Um, and yeah, that does it for the podcast for Cash and for Wolfine. We'll be back next week to give you more of Pound the Rock. <laughs> <laughs>